Dr. Oscar had been at our national conference back on the campus of Grace College in Illinois, Indiana, this last week. Uh, that conference wraps up this morning. Was it done when he called you this morning? Uh, I'm not sure either. Uh, he called to check up on me right before we started. And, uh, okay, they turned everything on. Okay, thank you. Okay, there we go. I'm live. Do I need to repeat everything I just said? No, thank you. Huh. Anyway, Pastor Oscar's been at our national conference back in Indiana. He'll leave uh, today to go visit his mom and his sisters back in uh, North Carolina. So he'll be there the rest of this week. He'll be coming home Friday. So be praying for him, uh, continuing time with his mom and his sisters in the aftermath of his sister's passing. Uh, lots of challenges there. Uh, just pray for wisdom for him and the ability to have a sensitivity to his, his mom and his sisters. Pastor Oscar invited uh, Pastor Paul to come and share with us this morning. And uh, Pastor Paul has been at the Lancaster Church uh, for a little over three years as associate pastor there, and now he's the teaching pastor since we stole Oscar away. Can I say that? Is that okay? Uh, and uh, so Oscar invited him to come and to share with us this morning in God's Word. I asked him for five things that I could inter- know about him to introduce him. Uh, he's, he's married, brought his wife as proof. That's always good. So uh, his wife, Nettie, is with him this morning. And he also brought another couple from the Lancaster Church that you want to meet afterwards, Adrian and Sassy. And so uh, make sure you get acquainted with them after the service. Let's see, what else did I learn about him? He loves the outdoors, my kind of guy. Loves camping. Uh, He works as an electrician. He's been doing that for more than 20 years, working for Northrop out there in the Lancaster area. And uh, studied at the Master's College out there in Santa Clarita. And so I want you to welcome Pastor Paul Balderas as he comes and shares God's Word with us this morning. Amen, brother. How are you guys doing this morning? It's great to be here. It's good to be in God's house, and it's good to be here at Grace Northwalk. Um, as the uh, pastor already said, that's enough about me, amen? I just five things. <laughs> that's all we need to know. Um, just, um, it's a great privilege, really. Um, sometimes us preachers, we, we say that as a mere formality. You know, it's something a preacher should say when, when he gets up here to preach. You know, it's, it's good to be here. But um, um, believe me that there is not just a mere formality. It's, it's you know, it's coming from the heart. I, as, I, as I got here this morning, I was welcomed. And, and uh, your pastor has an awesome sense of humor. Uh, I don't know. But I think that's what I, I admire. I should say something like, you know, he's anointed. But um, I like his sense of humor. And uh, I felt really at home. So I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to be here this morning. Amen. Um, as you know, A&R Church in Lancaster, California, uh, was a, is a Spanish-speaking church that was founded by your senior pastor, or is he senior pastor? Yeah, lead pastor, Oscar Chavez. And don't say, don't tell him I said this. I don't know if he's watching this, but uh, don't tell him I said this. You guys, you guys do have an awesome pastor. Amen. <laughs> and um, one of the things that I admire about uh, Pastor Chavez is that, well, first of all, he does missionary work. Amen. Second of all, he is good at uh, encouraging believers in, in their walk with Christ and, and encouraging them in ministry. You know, I met him three years ago, and uh, I thought I had heard the, the call to ministry in my life prior to that. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, Paul, you're, you're, you're pastor material. And I said, well, wait a minute, are you sure? <laughs> you know, and uh, he encouraged my walk, and I just want to, you know, I'm grateful for, for, his, for his life. So um, he told me to do me a solid, do me a favor today, and I'm here, and it's uh, more than a favor. Like I said, it's a, it's a privilege. Um, having said that, you know, uh, I, I've been uh, aware that you guys are in a series. You guys are currently in a series, right, uh, James? And the series is titled Faith uh, Plus Action, right? And I believe Pastor Oscar preached on verses four, uh, 1 and 4 last week, and my assignment this morning is to preach from James chapter... Um, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. So if you would please turn there with me uh, this evening, or me this morning. Kind of wishing the day is over already. It's, <laughs> it's kind of hot. Sorry, give, bear with me. Um, I've titled the message for this morning, Wisdom for Life's Trials. Now say that with me. Say that with me. Wisdom for Life's Trials. Out there at the church where we're at, uh, I often tell the church, talk to me, I talk back. We do a lot of interaction, so uh, I hope that's okay with you guys this morning. Um, it, just, it just helps us. One, it, it, it helps it flow better, and two, it helps us not go to sleep. Eh? There's a story of a, of a, of a 
of a boy who was um, went to, to church with his with his father, and um, the father fell asleep as the pastor was preaching, and uh, they said the, the pastor told told this told his kid, wait, well, you know what? Wake your father up, man. What is he doing? He's sleeping. He said, preacher, you wake him up. You put him to sleep. So, so um, um, sometimes preaching can be, you know, it's better to be interactive. So, uh, if you will, please open your Bibles there um, or your iPads or whatever it is. And please, um, I, I, I kind of do things different. I hope that's okay here. Uh, please, um, please stand for the reading of God's Word. It is God's inerrant, infallible Word. It's, this book is like no other book. How many guys say amen? This book is not. Uh, this book is not the Harry Potter book. It's not Hunger Games. It's it's inspired. It claims to be breathed breathed out by God. Every word in this precious book is God's word. And and, and thank you, Church, for the reverence to God's word. So if you open there, James chapter one, verses five through eight, it says, "If any of you lack wisdom, lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith." with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for the person for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord he is double-minded unstable in all of his ways let's pray Heavenly Father um, we come before your presence at this moment as we approach your word we ask you that the that the shepherd of our soul Jesus would speak to us through through the pages of scripture that we would be able to hear your voice loud and clear and that it would make the difference in our lives this morning, that we would leave this place not the same, but transformed by your powerful and precious word. In Jesus' name, we say amen. Thank you. Thank you once again for for your reverence. Um, So a while ago, I heard a story. I heard a story of a... How many of you guys know who Socrates Socrates was? He was a, a Greek philosopher. Many people believe that he was the father of Western philosophy. Socrates um, is known for his wisdom, right? He was a very wise philosopher. So uh, there was this young man who, who went to approach Socrates because he wanted wisdom. Uh, there's a problem with the man. He was, he was a little prideful. He was, a, uh, you, know, he was, um, you know, he was prideful. And Socrates was pretty good at spotting a numbskull when he saw one. So he sought to... He sought to um, teach him a lesson, and uh, a lesson that he would never forget. So he led the young man through the city, into the sea, and he went into the sea, and when they were chest deep into the water, he asked the young man, what do you want? And he said, wisdom and knowledge, O wise Socrates. And the young man smiled. So Socrates put his, um, you know, he was... He was very muscular. People, he was he was buff. He was cut. He was cut up. I know this because I met him. No, but um, Socrates, according to history, was very very you know in shape. So he puts his hand on the um, on his shoulders of this young man, pushes them down the water for thirty seconds. Then he lets him up. He says, "What do you want?" The young man says, "I want wisdom, oh great Socrates, Socrates." And he pushed them down again. This time for forty seconds. A, a, a bit longer than 30 seconds. When he came up, he was, he was wheezing, he was gasping for air. And he said, what do you want? The philosopher said, what do you want to the young man? And the young man proceeded to say, I want wisdom. The third time, he held him down for 50 seconds. And he let him up and he said, what do you want? He said, air. I need air. The point uh, that I want to make this morning is that it is, it, is, uh, it is my prayer and my purpose through this sermon that all of, us would he- all of us here would recognize that we need wisdom as bad as the man needed air. We need wisdom as, as bad as we need the air that we breathe. Amen? Uh, church, one of the things that we, we ought to seek in this world, we ought to seek in this world, is wisdom. Is wisdom above all things. Uh, the Bible is emphatic. And, and, and it shows us that one of the greatest qualities a person can possess is wisdom. For example, King Solomon, even though he was a, a rich and he, he, was, he had many possessions, he always placed God's wisdom on top of those riches. He understood the value of wisdom. Somebody say with me, the value of wisdom. 
He said, For wisdom is better than rubies, than all things that one may desire, cannot be compared with her. Right? And then he says that it's much better to have wisdom than to have gold. That's in Proverbs 16.16. Now let's be honest. Let's be honest this morning. That is a very difficult concept to grasp, especially because you and I live in a materialistic uh, drivery with me. It is very difficult to convince somebody in the 21st century that um, they should seek wisdom above money and riches. Let me ask you a question. Let's say somebody came along, somebody came along today and offered you $20 million or wisdom. Which one would you pick? Well, that's easy, Brother Paul. Mama didn't raise no fool. I would have chose the $20 million, right? Because after all, with all this inflation that's going on, $20 million sounds really nice right about now, right? Everything's expensive. I'm an electrician by trade, and I underbidded a job the other day because I didn't consider, I didn't, I didn't put that in my bid that everything is high. A breaker, electrical breaker that was $3 is now $6. So I said, listen, ma'am, I'm sorry, I underbidded the job. I hope you understand. Let's blame it on inflation. Right? So $20 million, most of us or most people would take the $20 million over wisdom. Because we would say, what's wisdom going to get me anyways? What, what does wisdom do? And see, a lot of us are confused on what type of wisdom the Bible is speaking about because there are which would include things like psychology, self-help programs or, or intuition. You know, a lot of people, they, they live their life by intuition. Have you met those type of people? I had a gut feeling. And, and they let themselves go by their gut feeling or their intuition. I'm not saying that, that we should criticize those people, but the Christian is called to live under the authority of Scripture. You know, sometimes we feel things. And those things, you know, sometimes, you're not going to let me lie here. You guys, you guys obviously live the Christian life more, longer than I have, right? Uh, sometimes you want to kick your cat when you get up in the morning. <laughs> I'm just playing it's a joke. <laughs> Look at you guys, are like, no. What I'm trying to say is that the Christian life is a roller coaster. Sometimes we want to, and sometimes we don't. How many of you guys get up every morning all jolly and stuff? If you're, if, I'm, I'm not a morning person, but I have to wake up. I have to wake up. To wake up, I think about my wife. I think about, uh, you know, my, 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 uh, sick, my, my sick father, who is 83. I think about him every time I go to work and I get up. Because right? that's what we do. We get up. But if I, if I were to lead my life the way I feel, man, I'd be a mess. Right? So the wisdom, is, the, the wisdom that James is talking about here is clearly not that type of wisdom. This wisdom comes from God. And it is a type of wisdom that allows us to persevere through life's trials. Pastor Oscar said last week that, that uh, James starts talking about trials in verse 2, and he does it all the way to verse 12. Um, James is saying, count it all joy when you go through various types of trials. So, James is not changing his frame of thought, but he is now elaborating on wisdom for the trial. Uh, we see that, and especially, I don't, I don't like to recommend paraphrased translations of the Bible, but I think H.P. Phillips does an excellent job, and he says this, this is his translation of this verse, verse 5, he says, and if in the process any of you does not know what how to meet any particular problem, he has only to ask God. So there in his paraphrase, it, it, it's quite clear that, that James is not changing from frame of thought, but he's talking about wisdom in trials. So that's what my assignment is this morning, to, to um, speak about wisdom in trials. And I, and I feel that's very important because this text in its original context is talking exactly about that. How to have wisdom when I'm going through difficulties of life. And that's important, church, because how many of you, how many of you wish that you could have handled certain things in your past differently than you did? If you're like me, uh, I wish there was a time machine. <laughs> I'd go back and do some things different. How many of you guys would agree with me? I wish I knew the Bible the way I knew, I wish I knew the Bible then the way I know the Bible now. And we need wisdom to go through these trials. And a lot of people misapply this text because 
they, they, they think that what they're talking about here is just wisdom, that, that James has changed his frame of thought and that now the topic is wisdom. And we misapply this text many times. You know, I heard a, a young man who came to, uh, to the pastor and he said, look, I, I'm, having, I'm having my final exam tomorrow and I want God to give me knowledge and wisdom, the way James says it here. Another young man said, look, well, then if he's doing that, well, then I need wise words to convince the judge not to throw me in jail. So might as well pray for that. <laughs> and, and this text is, is not talking about giving knowledge or some mystical way of giving wisdom, but it's talking about wisdom in, 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 in trials. So that's important there to explain. Um, the, question, the question here is, what are trials? Think about that for a moment. Now, I, I know... All of us, we, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't need much explaining, but what are trials? Well, trials are difficulties of life, amen? are problems in life. And under that, that, that topic or, or that category, trials, all, all kinds of things can be included. You know, uh, there are difficulties, adversities, the mess of life. It could be anything from a breakup, from a loss of employment, a loss of a loved one, a chronic illness. Depression, the lack of love, toxic relationships, they, they all fall under that category. And, and as a matter of fact, in verse 2, James is, is clear about that because he says various types of trials. You know, and I, what I love about the Bible church is that Jesus is very sincere with us. How many of you guys say amen? And he says that in this world, you're going to pass through tribulations. What I like about the Bible is that it's raw and it's sincere. Jesus says, look, you're going to have problems. As a Christian, things aren't going to go well, but things are going to go sometimes even worse than they already did. But my promise is that I will be with you until the end of the day, until the end of this, of this and, beyond, and all the way to eternity. See, uh, the Christian life is not a walk in a park. The Christian life is difficult. How many of you would say Amen. You know, this walk is a beast and, and we have to be, we have to be uh, ready to walk this walk that Christ has called us to walk. And one of the things that upsets me is that many times a lot of Christian uh, TV, a lot, of, a lot of teachers that teach this prosperity gospel uh, make it out to seem that the Christian has not a worry in his life. That's not true. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to go through some things. We're going to go through some illnesses. We're going to lose some loved ones. I just lost my mother um, at the beginning of this year, and it was one of the most difficult trials of my life. We're going to go through some things. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about going through trials and, and acquiring wisdom. And, and we know when we're in a trial, you've heard it said before, we often ask God, why is this happening to me? Have you ever asked God, why? Why God? Why now? Why now? Why is, this, why is this thing going on? I, I'm, I'm faithful. I, I, you know, I give out there at Grace Northwalk. I, I give my tithe. You know, I'm, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Why is this happening? But, but not only do we ask Him why this is happening when we're in trials, we also ask Him to deliver us from trials. Have you ever asked God to deliver you? Not only why, but you've asked God, come on God, you got me into this. Get me out of this. Right? Bail me out of this one, please. Okay, stop, let's go back to normal. I, I get the lesson, I get it. However, James here is teaching us how to have a much better approach. He's not teaching us, he's teaching us not, not, to, not, to, not to ask God to get out of trials, but he's asking, he's teaching us to ask God, what can I get out of this trial? Do you see that there? He's not saying, get me out of this, bail me out of this. He's, he's teaching us how to look at trials, as Pastor Oscar said last week, as blessings in disguise. Trials for the Christian is not bad. It's to grow, it's, it's to grow us in maturity. Amen? And, uh, you know, you should ask God, how can I grow through this trial? Now the question is, why do we need wisdom for the trial? Why do we need wisdom? Well, church, because wisdom will enable us, listen, not to waste the God-given opportunities to mature us. You know, it was J. Jackson Brown Jr. who once said, nothing is more expensive than a wasted opportunity. How many of you would agree with him? Have you ever lost an opportunity of a lifetime? Raise your hand. No, I have. I was supposed to invest in this company, and it's a very well-known company now. 
But I said, I told my wife, nah, they're probably, it's probably a scam. <laughs> and now, you know, I would have been, you know, well off. So I get upset because I wasted that opportunity. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's, 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 a, it's a loss of an opportunity in, in, in employment or, 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 or ministry or even a relationship. Huh? Many of you guys are regretting relationships that you, got, that you let go, you know, and... and um, and we know what it feels to have lost the opportunities. Those things impact our lives. And, and trials, listen, are God-given opportunities to build character. To build character in our lives. So trials aren't so bad after all. Say that with me. Trials are not so bad after all. There are, um, there are God's, given, uh, God's given opportunities to, to mold us and, 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 and mold our character and, and, and listen, uh, we need to grow up as Christians. I mean, guys, say amen. amen. Well, you know, um, you know, there's some people that that, that, that that are Christian for 20, 30 years. And, and maturity is not like in the physical realm. In the physical realm, you grow and, and you, you know, you're grown. But in the spiritual realm, you could be 20, 30 years a Christian and still be immature as a Christian. You know, and uh, it's like the guy who's 40 years old but still wants to be young. Have you ever met that guy? You know, he's wearing skinny jeans, shops at Tilly's. And, you know, I'm really preaching to the choir because if you ask my wife, she would tell you that's, that's, that's Paul right there. And there are many Christians who have, been, who have been Christians for many years, but they still lack wisdom. Wisdom is important. And uh, God wants us to grow. How many of you guys say amen? God wants us to grow. He, he, he does not want us to be children all our lives. Now some of you mothers say, look, I wish you would stay two all your life. You're so beautiful. Right? Have you ever told your child, I, I don't want you to grow? Or have you ever told, I remember when you were little, you were so cute. Now you, all, you have a, a face only a mother can love. And um, God wants us to grow, however. God wants us to grow. Not only does God want us to grow. Listen, I'm, I'm almost getting to my first point. I know I kind of go everywhere. I told Pastor Oscar this would happen. Uh, <laughs> but um, not only does God want us to grow, but a lot of what we do in ministry should be aimed to that goal. To the growth of Christian believers. Don't look for it, but in Colossians, just jot it down. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. It says, he, him we proclaim, excuse me, for everyone and uh, warning everybody and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we, we may present everyone mature in Jesus. First, uh, Colossians chapter 1, sorry, uh, verse 28. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And it says there that, that we, Paul wants to present everybody mature in Christ Jesus. That's interesting because Paul is using here in the Greek... Uh, present is a, a technical term. It, it means to, to offer an offering at the altar. And, and Paul is viewing himself as the, the worshiper who is now presenting an offering at the altar. It's the same word found in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul exhorts believers to present their bodies as living sacrifices. Paul sees himself as a worshiper, and what he wants to offer God is not a, is not a lamb, it's not an animal. He wants to offer God... A mature congregation. Paul doesn't want to offer God a, uh, a, uh, a, 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 a immature congregation, but he wants to offer God a congregation who has grown, who is, who is more like his son Jesus. And we should be uh, dedicated to the growth of the people in church. That is one of the things that we're doing out in Lancaster. We're, <coughs> we're dedicated to the growth of the people. You know, people should want to grow and we should be dedicated to the growth of people. Uh, see, see, because when we're before God, God isn't going to ask us the size of our church. He's not going to ask us what we, you know, uh, how many, uh, you know, how many buildings we build. What He's going to ask is how many people were changed by the gospel and how many of them did you grow? That's important. That's important. So, the question is, how do I acquire this wisdom? How do, I reach, how do I tap into this wisdom to, to, uh, 
The wisdom I need to face life's trials. Well, well, well James uh, answers that question by providing three necessary steps. Now, these three necessary steps can be simplified using three words. Everybody say with me. First, recognize. Second, pray. Third, trust. And I say that because in the text, there is this progression. Uh, there's, this, there's this progress or progression. I hope you can see it. In verses, uh, verses 2 through 5, when we get to 5, we see that trials demand wisdom. We saw that this morning in the introduction. In verses 6 through 7, wisdom depends on prayer. And in verses 8, or 7 and 8 as well, uh, prayer demands faith. Right? So, so, so we see that. We see that there's, there's this progression going on in this text. Even though a lot of commentaries would say that James is everywhere, um, God is, is, is the ultimate author of the scripture. How many of you say amen? And, and when God speaks, he speaks very clear. Amen? And there's a progression. So step one, we must recognize our need for wisdom. We must recognize our need for wisdom in the trial. Verse 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom. Is that what your Bible says this morning? If anyone lacks wisdom. Stop there for a moment. At first glance, these opening, ver- these opening words seem to suggest that some Christians lack wisdom and some don't. Right? That, that's kind of the first thought that comes in our head. So, so what James is saying here is that some Christians would lack wisdom, but some Christians don't. And that's not what the text is saying in the Greek. It's not saying that, that, that there's some type of varsity team and some junior varsity, right? That some Christians, they get it. You know, they're, they're mature. They, 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 they've been there, bought the t-shirt, and they can go through trials and come out as gold. And some you know, they're less spiritual and they're not too good at going through trials. No, it's not talking about varsity and junior varsity. Uh, this is a conditional statement and what it means is that this is a gracious way of the author to tell us that we all lack wisdom. That all of us lack wisdom. It's not that some lack wisdom. Uh, James is being humble and he's, he's trying, his intention is trying to, to lead readers to examine themselves, to be humble enough to confess their need for wisdom. What James is saying here is, look, you need to recognize. Some of my, young te- some of my youngsters at, at, at R&R would say, you need to check yourself. <laughs> Don't play with me, James is saying. He's saying, look, you need to recognize that you need wisdom. You need to be humble enough to recognize that you and I lack wisdom. You know, uh, there in, in your outlines, it says we need to be humble enough to ask for help or say, I need help. And, and that's, that's one of the things that is, is hard for us to do. It's, it's hard for us to, to ask for help, isn't it? I mean, uh, sometimes um, when we're going through trials... We, we ask everybody for help except the person that we should ask for help. How many of you guys would say amen? When you're going through a trial, sometimes when you're going through a problem, the, the question that you ask yourself or another question is, what do I do now? What, what, what should I do now that I, that I have this cancer? What, what should I do now that I lost this job? Uh, what do I do now that I broke up with the love of my life? What do I do now with this chronic illness? And we go to everybody and their grandmother to God to the one who really has the answer for, for life's difficulties and, and you know when, when you're going through moments of despair just, just think about this for a moment who's your first response who do you go to maybe you go to your spouse and, and you should go to your spouse because you should tell your spouse everything she's your best friend he's your best friend I know that some, uh, you know, some of you guys may not think so but that, that's true your spouse is your best friend. Some of us go to our parents. How many of you guys go to your parents? Even if you're 40, 30, you still go to your parents. I, I did. You know, I was going through problems. I go to my mom. You know, and, and that's all good because, you know, parents should be, should be our guides and they should be people who encourage us. One writer says that parents need to fill the bucket, the bucket of their sons and daughters of self-esteem so high that the world can't poke enough holes to drain it dry. You know, parents should be guides, should be, should be people that we go to advice for. And, and parents are very wise because they live life longer than we have. How many of you say amen? 
And sometimes their wisdom, it's very cute. I, I like parent wisdom because it's encapsulated in these cute little quotes. Have you ever seen Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump, he says, Mama said, the life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And even though that, that's corny, it's true. Life is full of surprises. But parents, parents, as much as we love them and admire them, they don't have all the questions. They don't have everything we need. There are some problems that are, that are so big. There are some trials that are so big. And, and, and parents are just human as, as, as much as we are human. And, and sometimes they're still trying to figure out what life is about. There, there are trials in your life that your best friend can't can help you to make sense of. You guys would say amen. Even your best friend can't make sense of some of the things that are happening in your life, such as the case of a child who was born with a disease, a cancer, or AIDS, or, or how about a car accident that suddenly he catches you by surprise and paralyzes you? Or how about the spouse who after 20 years of marriage decides to call, call, call it quits? There are trials that, need, that, that, that even the most skilled professional could not help you in. Just ask the guy who went to to, to uh, marriage counseling and still got a divorce. See, we feel that we got a, a control on life, but there are certain trials in life that will, will, will knock us straight to our backs. But the good news is, church, that you and I serve a God that is more wiser than anybody who's ever lived. Amen? The Bible says that God is wise. Amen? He is full of wisdom. Paul had to stop in Romans... He had to stop to praise the. He had to stop to praise God for His wisdom. He says, "O oh, depth of riches, both of wisdom and knowledge! How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways." Isaiah says that He is a, he, His wisdom is great. Amen. You and I serve a God who has much wisdom, who is really wise. Amen. That's the good news, church. We serve a God who is not only wise, but He's in control of our lives. Amen. That's the good news. And we need to be humble enough to ask that God for help. James says, if anybody lacks, lacks wisdom, go and ask God for wisdom. Where do you go when life is tough? Do you go to God? Or do you go to your BFF? Or do you go everywhere but God? Well, it's hard for us to admit that we need help. How do you guys say amen? You know, I was at work one day and... Uh, um, I was at work and I couldn't get this unit in and, and, and it was, I knew that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a big guy. I don't know if you can tell. Um, my, my co-worker, however, is slimmer than I am. And, and I knew he can get the unit in faster, but it was, I, I wanted to do it. I didn't, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be not good at my job. So I was afraid to ask for help. I was afraid to ask for help. Until, you know, three hours in. I said, forget this. I'm going to ask for help. This is getting on my nerves. So I let my pride go, and I went to ask for help. See, church, we need to let pride go. Because sometimes when we're in trials, we say things like, we're gonna, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to pull myself up from this, from this trial. I'm going to get myself together. I'm going to do it. I'm going to show the world. I'm going to show everybody that I am the person that I am supposed to be. We can't operate that way. We need to learn to depend on a higher source, on, on God. He is, he is much more powerful than anybody. He is much more wiser than anybody He's the God who's on His throne and is, and is sovereign and is controlling and is calling the shots. Amen? The God of the Bible is a God who is in control of life. A wise, a wise God. God. I said wise guy. Forgive, that. Forgive me for that. He's a wise God. You know, the, the Bible says that no one can stop the plans of God. No one can thwart the plans of God. How many of you say amen? No one. No one can thwart the plans of God. He's a God who, who makes plans and he, he, he brings them to fruition. And nobody can stop that. No, no devil can stop that. No human being can stop that. You know, often I grew up in a church that, that often said, you know, God, God is a gentleman. Because if you say no, then he's not going to do it. You ever heard that before? No, God's a gentleman. 
gentleman, if, 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 the gentleman says, uh, if somebody says no, then the gentleman respects that. And I often find myself in the Bible, a God who is, who, who is in control and who doesn't ask for permission. God does what He wants. He's a good God, but He does what He wants. He's on His throne. He calls the shots. Amen? And who are we to try to plan, to stop the plans of a sovereign God? And my point is that even trials of life, those are, are planned by God. Those, those trials are, are, are allowed by God. Who are we to try to stop the hands of God in our lives? Let me say amen to that. Now, um, old school preachers would say, you know, our arms are too short to box with God. Have you ever heard that analogy? Now, I like boxing. How many of you guys would like, like boxing? Now, I think I could justify that because the Apostle Paul, he, you know, he would constantly talk about you know, the, you know, the Olympic Games, you know, running and, and, and boxing and wrestling. So I, I think I could justify boxing, right? <laughs> and uh, he would use this to, to, to talk about sport metaphors. I mean, metaphors about sports and to compare them to the Christian life, right? So um, how many of you guys know, uh, have you heard of Canelo Alvarez? Come on, guys. I, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm Hispanic, so I, you know, I love Canelo Alvarez. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's a good boxer. But on May 7th, I believe it was May 7th, he lost. He lost. He was so frustrated that he was picking the guy up, right? So frustrated. The reason why he lost is because the other guy had a better reach. He was a much better boxer. And see, church, we, we need to realize that, that God... That we can't outbox God. We, he has a better reach. Amen? That, that, that His plans are going to uh, go to fruition and, and nobody can stop them. And God, the good news is that God, the God who is on His, who is on his throne, is in control of our lives and is wise. And listen, uh, we, we can approach wisdoms two ways. We can approach them with pride or we can approach them with, with humility. Proverbs 11, 12 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Notice what it says there. It says that the, the proud man or woman fears shame. But ironically, what they cultivate is shame because, because they, they're prideful. But with, with, with humility comes wisdom. And notice what uh, Proverbs 3 uh, 5 and 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We're told here in Proverbs 3 uh, verses 5 through 7 not to lean on our own understanding. The word there in the Greek means, lean means to rely. And it, it, it depicts an action of somebody leaning on a broken crutch. Now imagine you just broke your leg and you Lean on a crutch that's no good. That, that would hurt. Everybody say, ouch. And that's what happens when we do things our own way. We get a lot of ouches. I have a grandson and I say, you know, don't, don't go getting an ouch. Right? And he's always falling on them. But when we trust in our own ways, when we want to do things like Elvis Presley said, I did it my way, we're going to get ouches. We're going to find ourselves with that broken crutch. That it's not sturdy enough to, to hold us. So, the application, here's the application to this. We need to ask for help. You and I need to come to the place where we recognize that we're not as smart as we think. We're not as clever as we think. We're not as wise as we think. We need to come to that place where we recognize that we need wisdom. That we need wisdom. Step two, though, is uh, we need to pray for, for wisdom. Everybody say, pray for wisdom. Notice what he says there in verse 5 again. He says, let him ask God. Here James is talking about prayer. He's talking about when trials come, we need to ask God. We need to ask God for wisdom. Now, just as a trial demands wisdom, James now says that wisdom demands prayer. Right? So you need wisdom for the trial, but to get wisdom you need to pray. You need to ask God. And somebody defined prayer as simply the action of, of somebody talking to God. And you know what? I like that. Because that's not complicated. Prayer is just talking to God. There is no magical formula. There is no, there is no uh, magical words. We just, we just need to pray. We just need to talk to God like you talk to another human being. 
Now, um, you and I, church, we have the privilege to be able to come to God. Isn't that a great privilege? That's a great privilege. There are areas in this world where you, can't, you have no access to. One of those areas is Area 51. What happens if you try to access Area 51? You're going to get a bullet in your forehead, right? <laughs> there was a, a, a while ago, there were some weirdos that said, we're going to take Area 51. Yeah, that didn't happen. We, we don't have access to Area 51. There's, there's an island in Brazil that we don't have access to because it's so infested with snakes that you would die. There are places on this earth that you do not have access with. But the Christian, we have access to the very throne of God. The, the author of Hebrews says, come confidently, amen, to the throne room of grace. I mean, the throne, the, the, the I, Spanish is different. Um, the throne or the grace, the throne of God, right? To find, uh, to find, uh, to find uh, pronto alivio. Well, anyways, <laughs> come boldly, says the book, the book of Hebrews. It says, come boldly to the throne of God. And you're going to find grace there. The Christian ought to come boldly, not, 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 not skeptically, not, not, not with, with low confidence, but we should, not doubting, we should come confidently that we know that God hears us. We're the only people on this planet that have direct access to God. People are still trying to figure out who God is. But you and I, friend, we have the privilege that when we come to God in prayer, He listens to us. The creator of the cosmos, of the universe, he will listen to your prayer. Oh, little your prayer. He will listen to it. Isn't that a great privilege? You ought to say amen this morning. You ought to shout. Because when you and I approach God, he hears us. Now, the challenge for us is to believe the gospel. Is to believe that we have that access. Is to believe that God does hear us. Because, you know, sometimes when we don't come as confidently as we should. Because we think of our past. We think of, of, of how, you know, of our presence. And we don't come confidently. We come with shame. But the Bible says that Jesus took that shame and he did away with it on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him who to, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes the, the shame away. So you don't need to come unconfidently. Jesus took the shame away. Isn't that great news? That on the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price so that you and I can have this access. We don't need to come with shame. We don't need to come like we don't belong there. We don't need to come with our head down. We need to come with our head up because Jesus paid the price on the cross. There was a lot of skeletons in my closet. How many of you would say amen? I figured this thing out quickly. Christians aren't perfect. Some people think that we're perfect. Right? But we have a lot of mess. This is why we need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus because we weren't perfect and we're not perfect. And we need to hold on to the gospel every day of our lives. God knew that we were going to be messy. He knew that we were going to be mess, messy. That's why on the cross, Jesus didn't only pay for past uh, sins. He paid, he, paid for, he paid for present and future sins. How many would say amen? The grace of God is great. You don't need to come with your head down. Come with your head up. So, so, so it says here... It's an imperative as well. When it says, let him ask, it is in the Greek, an imperative. Which means this isn't, this isn't advice, friend. This isn't James telling you, look at man, I'm going to give you some good advice. No, he's under divine inspiration, which means this is a commandment of God. God is saying that me, you and I should pray for wisdom, and that's not an option, it's mandatory. And sometimes, even prayer is not an option for the Christian. How many say Amen. The Bible gives us imperatives and it is a command. And a lot of us, the, the, the polls, the, the average polls in the studies say that, that the average Christian prays from five minutes to seven minutes a day. 47% of Christians are dissatisfied with their prayer life. You know, prayer for the Christians is like what vegetables is to the little kid. We all know that they're good for us, but we don't like the way they taste. Right? That's true. We ought to pray more than we're praying. 
It is not only a, an imperative, but it's an imperative in the Greek. It's found in its present text, in its present tense, excuse me. And it says that we ought to pray continually. We, we ought to pray. The idea is here that we need to persist in asking. We need to, we need to pray more than once. It should be a lifestyle. Now, I heard of a Christian fellow who went out with his unbeliever friends. And they went out fishing. How many of you guys like fishing? Went out fishing. And they were out in the boat. And they caught a storm. They were, the, the unbeliever friends begged the believer uh, to pray to God. Because they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to die. Pray to your God. I don't know if I should. But when the, the storm got hectic, he, he prayed. And he prayed this way. He said, look, Lord, I haven't asked for anything for 15 years. So if you bring us home safely, I promise I won't bother you for another 15 years. He laughed, but that, that describes the prayer life of many of us. Right? Another 15 years. Because to us, prayer is like a spare tire in our trunk. We only use it when we've we got a flat. When we come to God... When we have problems. Amen? That's just, just the way it is. We, we come to God when, 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 when there's problems. But, but James says here that we, we should pray continually when we're in problems, when we're in trials. It's an imperative. We should pray continually. Now, there are all types of, of trials. We should pray. Notice that, the, uh, that the, 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 the source of true wisdom is God himself. It says, let him ask God. God is the true, God is the, 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 the source of true wisdom. And, and, and what, it, what exactly is wisdom, guys? Wisdom should not be confused with knowledge. You know, someone said, if you want knowledge, go to school. But if you want wisdom, get on your knees. And that's exactly what this text is showing us. Knowledge is not wisdom. Some people would say, well, a wise person is some person that wears a robe and is, 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 you know, has, you know, is involved, he's involved in, in, in philosophy and he, he quotes these, these esoteric, esoteric philosophies. Like, like I was studying from this, for this sermon and I heard a philosopher said this, I, I, this quote. He says, human, be, human beings live in their myths. They only endure their realities. End of quote. And I said, what did that that's the best, this is the best the world can come up with because this is one of the wisest quotes. And, and that's not what the Bible is talking about. It's not talking about knowledge. It's not talking about some deep uh, philosophical ideology. What is wisdom? The Greek word here is Sophia. It is the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action. It is the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action. It, it, is, it is knowledge in... It is knowledge in its right application, right? See, it's not, it's, not, it's not good enough just to have knowledge. We need to be doers of the word. How many would say amen? amen? Now, let me ask you a question. How would you feel, and I'm almost done here, guys. How would you feel if, if, if you told your, 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 your son to clean his room when you got back from work? And, and you get back from work and he hasn't cleaned his, his room. How would you feel in that? You get upset, right? And what if your son told you, well, uh, did you, you asked him, did you clean the room? He said, no, dad, but I, but I got together with my friends and we looked up what cleaning the room means in the Greek. And, and not only that, but um, not only did we look it up in the Greek, but we had a prayer meeting about how it would look if I cleaned my room. I'll be the first to admit I love theology. I'm a geek. Some of you guys are Star Wars geeks. I'm a theological geek. But theology is not suffice. We need practice. We need to practice. We need to practice the theology that we believe. And Christians are good in theory. That we're good in quoting that we believe in a powerful God. But when it comes to when it comes to trials, we need to put that into practice. We need to put that into practice. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And where can we acquire it? Well, James says that we should pray for, we should pray to God. And also Psalm 19 verse 7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise, making the, making wise the simple. That word there, simple, means a person who's, 
whose mind is like an open door. And what God wants to do is He wants to shut that door because an open mind is dangerous. Open mind implies that there is no discernment, that any type of teaching can just come into our minds and, and, and just affect us in any old way. And in, in the Hebrew, it means that he who shuts the door, God wants to make us wise enough that we follow His Word. The source of wisdom is, his, is this Bible here. This is the source of wisdom. Amen? This Bible will tell you how to live your life. How many of you would say amen? amen? Now the Bible is not a, a magic eight ball. Some people treat it like a magic eight ball. <laughs> Who should I marry? Is it Heather or, or Melissa? No, this Bible will not tell you the name of the woman you should marry, but it will tell you the qualities of a righteous and godly woman. Amen? This Bible will not tell you what company you should work at, but it does tell you where your priorities should be. Look for the kingdom of God and any, everything shall be added to you. So we need this Bible, His Word, to live life. Church, we need to be people of the book, people who read the book, people who follow the book. The Bible teaches us that. And, and, and the reason why our lives sometimes are messed up is because we have not heard and applied the Word of God in our lives. You know, I'm going to my third point. I know I skipped a lot of things. Here. Well, no. I want to go through three things. I want to do three things here. So it's uh, three in- initiatives for asking God in prayer for wisdom. What are, some th- what are three initiatives? Well, notice James says there that God gives wisdom. He gives it generously to all. God gives wisdom generously to all. Why should you and I ask for wisdom? We should not be fearful of asking for wisdom because God gives to all. He's generous. Our God is a generous God. How many of you say amen? Now some God, uh, you know, some, some deities, um, they're not as generous because there, there is no other God. There's only one God. But God doesn't clinch His fist and we have to pry Him open. No. God isn't greedy. God is generous. There are some stingy people. How many of you say amen? <laughs> In Spanish, we said we got to pray. we got to anoint their elbows because <laughs> they're so... They're so this is how you say stingy in Spanish. You go colo. <laughs> and God isn't greedy. God is always willing to bless our lives. That's good news. God gives generously. This word helopos in the Greek, it means to be of single heart, of, to be unconditional, to be, to be not bragging, to be sincere. God wants to bless you, friend, and He sincerely wants to bless you. Some people will help you out, but to get something out of you, but that's not God. God doesn't say, scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. Notice, He gives to all. He is not discriminative. He doesn't just bless some people. He doesn't just bless some ethnicities. He blesses all. He blesses all those who seek Him. He gives without reproach. The word there in the Greek is, is that the idea that He, doesn't, he, is, not, he is not complaining, that, that, that He doesn't place favorites, that, he, that nobody forces Him to do anything. That, those are three initiatives. And the third, initi- the third initiative is that, I mean, the two initiatives. God is generous. Um, God gives without reproach. But notice, this is a promise. It will be done. If you look for wisdom, God promises that He'll give it to you. That is three initiatives to look for wisdom and to ask for wisdom. And in and, 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 and step three, it says that we ought to trust God in life's trials. Notice, uh, it says that let him ask in faith verse 6 it says that we ought to ask in faith so when we come to pray to God we need to have faith we need to trust in God's character we need to come without doubt you know there's a whelk in, in the ocean and it, it, it's a creature that has that has the, the, the that can ruin the oyster's day the, the, it could it could deep like it, it could dig deep like a coarse screw into the oyster and it could um, it could bore out a small hole and from that hole and from that hole he will devour the whole oyster and that's what doubt does in our lives it starts off small and it turns into something big but notice God rejects the one who prays with doubt but let him ask in faith without doubting 
That's what the Bible says there. And, 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 and then the point that I want to get to is, is here is that, you know, what does God think about the person that doubts? Verse 6. But let him ask in faith without no, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You know, the opposite of faith is doubt. And, and, and uh, the Bible describes the person that doubts like a, like a, a surf, like a wave that, that's tossed here and, tom- he's here and tomorrow. So, so what this text is showing us is that, that, that God knows that we were going to struggle with doubt. However, does doubt, does doubt consume you? Do you live a double, a double, a double life? Not not in, in a, not in a moral sense, but sometimes you want to serve God, but 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 then doubt comes in your life and, and takes over. It's like you're playing tug of war with doubt. But the question here, or or, or or just to conclude, I want to leave you with this. So I heard a story about about a wise king wise king and the wise king had his servant servant was always in a good mood have you ever met somebody who was always in a good mood they're just positive all the time is that you sometimes you're wondering why, why are you so positive right? and he would say to the king he would say everything that happened he would say good it happened for a reason good it's good that it happened so the king went out in Africa he was in Africa he was to, to hunt and he blew off his finger <laughs> And the servant said, good, it happened for a reason. The king said, what are you talking about? I'm going to lock you up. He locked them up. Locked them up. And then he went to, to, uh, to hunt again. And a group of, con- uh, how do you, how do you, what do you call those people that eat people? Cannibals. Cannibales in Spanish. Cannibals. They, they captured him. And uh, they were about to eat them, but th- this particular group didn't like to eat nobody with, that wasn't that was nobody that was you know that wasn't complete in their members. So they noticed that they were he was missing a, a finger, so they didn't eat him. He went back to the guy and he said, they, "You know, you saved my life. You, I'm going to take you out of prison." And uh, and he said, he said, it, it, he said they were about to eat me and they didn't eat me. That's good. He said, "It's good that I wasn't with you either." Because if I would have been with you, they would have ate me. The truth is that that's the way the Christians should think. That everything happens for a reason. Everything, church, happens because God wants it to happen the way it happened. Even our trials. Even our trials are a plan of God. Amen? The Apostle Paul once said, in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to paraphrase this. This is my conclusion. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. You guys remember that, that passage? A messenger from Satan and buffets me. Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. God allowed it. He allowed this, this trial to come into Paul's life. Then he says, it's a thorn in the flesh. And we can all relate to that because have you ever picked something up and you kind of prink your finger and you get a thorn right in your flesh? It was tumbleweed. I hate those tumbleweeds, man. You get it right in your finger. Well, that's not what the Greek means. The Greek means it's a stake. It's, it's almost like a vampire stake. And a better translation is not a thorn in the flesh. A better translation would be a thorn for my flesh. And then when the Bible talks about flesh, it uses the Greek word sark, sarks, which is always talking about, he's always talking about the unredeemed part of our, of our lives. We all have an unredeemed part. I mean, you say amen. We're not perfect. We all have a part that's nasty. How many say amen? We're not perfect. The, the church is a, is a hospital. We, there's no perfect Christian. Amen? We struggle with sin. According to Galatians, we, we struggle every day. So what Paul is saying is that this, this trial was designed by God for that unredeemed part of me. To mold me. To, to, to purify me. That unredeemed part of you God will design a trial for that. And then he says, He was given to me so that I would not become conceited. And God wants you to know that He loves you so much 
that He's dedicated to your growth. That there cannot be no conceited Christians. <laughs> that's, a, that's an oxymoron. Some Christians believe they're all that in a bag of chips. They're God's gift to the world. Right? And Paul recognized that he had received so much revelation that God had to, God had to give him a trial to keep him humble. And God will do the same for you because he loves you. And sometimes love is tough. How many of you would say amen? But at the end, it is rewarding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. And we ask you that this morning, you would help us apply these three steps. That we would recognize first our need for wisdom. Secondly, that we would pray for wisdom. And thirdly, that we would trust for God for wisdom without doubting. Thank you, Father, for the time you've given me. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, Amen.